Hi, and welcome to the Courageous Mama podcast, where I aim to empower, equip, and encourage you both in your parenting and your personal journey as an individual. If we lead ourselves well, we parent well. This week comes with an age warning. You might not want to listen to this week's interview near little ears. I fully endorse having big conversations with your children, but this info is for your ears first. If you'd like to then choose how, what and when to disseminate this among your children, now is a good time to pause. I thought I'd open with a bit of a giggle. I shared on a previous podcast a time when one of my children was a lifeguard and I played a practical joke on her that was a bridge too far. Well, she squarely got her own back on me this week. I was chatting to her up and down the aisles of a supermarket whilst I was shopping and then I told her to hold her thoughts because I just needed to put her on speaker for a second whilst I went and checked my shopping list, which was also on my phone. So I popped her on speaker and then in a very loud voice she said, did you get that vibrator I sent you in the post? (laughs) Cheeky monkey. Yes, a few heads spun my way. How's your week looking? This is race week in Cheltenham, where we welcome about 65,000 people to the town, predominantly for the races, but the bars and shops and promenade will be buzzing all week too. We love it, but we do know that it's not the week to visit friends or go anywhere that involves crossing town. If you're heading to Cheltenham this week, welcome. If you're in Cheltenham, you know what I'm talking about. So this week is the second of two podcasts that I'm hosting with my guest Emma Waring, sex therapist and relationship counsellor. I've had lots of feedback on the podcast where she talked about sex. People have found it enlightening and passed it on to friends. So on we go being very grown up and talking about difficult things. This week it's pornography. Emma gives a detailed and at times quite explicit but incredibly insightful but I would also want to say very balanced view of the impact of porn on adult relationships but significantly the impact of porn on the sex education of our children and the impact it will go on to have on their peer groups and their relationships. I began by asking her, what age do you think we should start talking to our children about pornography if we want to get there before their peers or the internet, whether they do that intentionally or accidentally? So I read a really interesting article by a parenting expert quite a few years ago now in a national newspaper, and it was saying that we needed to start talking to our children about pornography around the age of eight or nine. And I remember thinking at the time, gosh, that seems really young. My kids at that time didn't have phones, but actually quite a few of their friends did. And I had already had a conversation with my children about sex and about how babies are made. And they had asked me uh, around the age of three, which is the typical age that children will start to ask where babies come from. And so I had already laid the foundations down for that. Uh, Then I read this article that says we should be talking about pornography. And then something interesting happened. A friend of mine had a really difficult experience in that her, her child, who was about eight, 
had gone to a friend's house for a sleepover and had been exposed to some really explicit pornography on a an iPad, I think owned by or used by an older sibling. Now, one of the difficulties is that they hadn't yet had the conversation about sex. Um, and so as a parent, my, my sense is get in there young. They will ask you from about the age of three. If you think about it, we start taking our kids to farms when they're little and we look at baby ducks and baby pigs. And, you know, so they are going to be inquisitive about where human babies come from. So to think about having that conversation in a very matter of fact, age appropriate way, this is how babies are made. And that isn't a, an easy conversation to have for many parents, but it's a really important one. And then you can build on that. So that's how babies are made. But then you can start talking about sex and how our bodies are created and that it can be used for intimacy and to, and to experience pleasure and to show love and to create a good, strong bond with your partner. And then you can start to talk about pornography. And I think, you know, certainly from the stats that I've read from the NSPCC, Sadly, children will be exposed to pornography at a young age. They think, think the average is around 10, don't they? Yeah, that's right. I think I think I saw some statistics from the NSPCC that said that 90% of children, I think it was between 11 and 16, 90% will be exposed to pornography, 40% of those by the age of 14. So, you know, we, if you think about the prevalence of phones and children start mm. to go to secondary school at sort of 11, yeah. uh, that's that they've got a phone then and children are going to be passing images to each other and video clips, etc. So I think much as we would want to, we can't really get away from this. Um, no, and it's like a different world, but it's like a different world, but, but that this is the world we have. And so I think the best we can do as a parent is to arm our children, firstly, with the view of sex we would like them to have to start with, and then to talk about why pornography might be damaging. I think it's quite important that we, we recognise that for young people, teenagers viewing pornography, they are likely to have a mixture of emotions. So just to talk about it as a negative thing, which is awful and terrible and you should never see it, is not going to be helpful because a friend may have shown them something and they may have found it quite exciting. They may have felt scared. They may have felt a whole host of different feelings. They may have found it funny. They may have felt a sense of shame. They could be feeling all those things. So I think it's really important as a parent to share that. You know, if you see something where people are having sex or they're touching each other or they're doing things to each other's bodies you might feel a lot of different things you might you might feel frightened you might feel really excited by it but ultimately we know that if people view pornography view a lot of pornography it changes the way our brains work it's down to the dopamine receptors and so we get excited and our brain says to us, this is really stimulating. So it may be that we go back to watch it and we go back and we go back. Now, the risk with that, and this won't happen for everyone, but it, pornography is designed to be very arousing and it arouses our brain. And the problem with this is that, and certainly this is what I hear from my clients, is that people will say, I started off watching something that was really quite tame and didn't feel particularly explicit. 
But actually what happens in the brain, the brain is very clever in that it begins to realize that this compulsive behavior is not helpful. So what it does is it starts to shut off some of the dopamine receptors. And what do we go and do as humans? We up the level of, of stimulation in order to get the same response. So something that somebody may have been watching six months ago, it just doesn't have the same effect. Like drink, like drugs. There's a very good book by somebody called Gary Wilson, who's written a book called Your He's Brain. done a TED Talk, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he's, he's done a TED that. Talk. And he, he's, called, he, he's written a book called Your Brain on Porn. And I like his work because he is a, he's a researcher and he's also an atheist. And, and, and I like that because he's not coming at this from a moral standpoint, he, he, which, which one could argue there are grounds for saying from a moral Christian perspective that porn isn't, wouldn't be helpful for somebody. But I like the fact that he takes out the moral question and he says, as a researcher, as a scientist, I have done research looking at brain scans of people who have compulsive behavior, whether that's gambling, gaming, alcohol, drugs, porn, and you are seeing structural brain changes in the way the brain has responded to this that ultimately are very unhelpful for us. And there is a category now in sexual medicine uh, called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And there is a category that identifies men who are unable to get an erection now without the use of pornography. So they cannot stimulate themselves, they cannot masturbate on their own without the reliance on pornography. And actually what's interesting in that is that is really worrying for them because when they're with a partner, they just can't get aroused. Their brain has been trained for something a little bit like, I always think of it as you have if you eat fruit, you've got the natural sweetness of fruit. And if you didn't eat sweets or artificial sweets, you wouldn't know that there is a different version of sweetness. You just yeah. use the fruit and the nectarine tastes lovely. If you gorge yourself in a sweet shop and you, you repetitively eat artificial sweetener, artificial sweetener, artificial sweetener, it changes how your taste buds will respond to the sweetness of the nectarine it just doesn't taste the same anymore and mm. that process happens when it comes to sex and sexual sexual arousal so whilst it's not something that i work with regularly in terms of sexual addiction i see it a lot as a potential issue that lots of people are raising as something they recognize as being unhelpful mm. i've read a few pieces on it and just that relationship between the brain and touch even yeah. alters doesn't it? It does. But moving on also to the fact that if they watch porn and that's their formative experience of what sex looks like, you've got to wonder what they're bringing into the bedroom when it's their turn. And that, that could be some heavy expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there was an interesting paper that has looked at the pleasure gap between men and women and why is why there's a differential in uh, women and men experiencing orgasm when they're in partnered sex and one of the, the the thoughts around that is that some researchers looked at the 50 most viewed videos on Pornhub and they showed that a very very small number 
of pornographic films depicts women having an orgasm it's about 25 percent so so in about 75 percent of porn women are not depicted as experiencing a, an orgasm so it's almost like the focus is on the male sexual pleasure not on the woman and in those 20 percent of women that were depicted as having an orgasm whether that was fake or not real or not only 17% of women actually had any clitoral stimulation to achieve that orgasm. We know from research that 96% of women will need clitoral stimulation in order to experience an orgasm. So where I'm going with this is that young people, older people are watching porn and they have a view of what will enable a woman to experience sexual pleasure. And actually it's all skewed. It's all wrong. The focus if in the beginning is usually on male sexual pleasure. So there's a differential there. It's like female sexual pleasure is not equal or as it's not as important. But then if the woman is depicted as having sexual pleasure, that's inaccurate as well. So young people are learning that it's all about male sexual pleasure. And if it is about female sexual pleasure, she will experience that through a hard thrusting penis. So young people, both boys and girls, are being sold wrong information about sex. You know, the, the, the focus of porn is on self-gratification. It is, it, it is not on what it brings to the relationship. It's not even about the relationship. It's about self-gratification. But even in the examples where it's about a purely physical act, what's frustrating is that it is completely wrongly depicting how women experience sexual pleasure so it's setting it's setting men and women up to fail yeah. because women women think why don't i find penetrative sex particularly perhaps with their partner they find it enjoyable but it might be that they've never experienced an orgasm and their their husband thinks that they will experience an orgasm through penetration they think they will experience an orgasm through penetration they don't and it leaves both of them feeling a bit empty and a bit unsure about how to broach this because the world is telling them this is what good sex looks like. So porn is giving us a misreading. It's miswiring the neurological responses. Parenting can be wonderful, but it can be tough at times too. If you'd like to reduce the stress in your home, if you'd like a kinder home, kids that listen and who thrive emotionally, Pop me an email and I'll share ways that I, as a coach, can help you and your family. And also, if you haven't got a copy of my book, Parenting for Life, yet, you'll find that at thecourageousmama.com. And this month, I'm offering a free 15-minute one-to-one micro-coach with each copy sold. Parents often say, can you just be on my shoulder when my child dot, dot, dot? Well, now I can. I've learned that sometimes you've just got stuck on a small thing and you want a quick helping hand for a specific scenario. So here's a way that you can do that. Pop onto The Courageous Mama, order a copy of Parenting for Life for yourself, for a friend, for a Christmas present, and I'll make a time to chat with you about that issue that's getting in the way of your connected relationship with one of your children or all of your children. Now, back to the podcast. 
So porn is giving us a misreading. It's miswiring the neurological responses. But on the flip side, also, perhaps it's important to say, pick up a book on sex, yeah. get some good information in there. Yeah. But I would also just going back to sex. Interestingly, a few years ago, I was having a conversation with my niece. She used to come over every Wednesday for dinner and it was Lent. And she said, oh, I'm giving up this for Lent. And my friend, who, who doesn't have any religious beliefs, is also doing Lent. She said, it's quite common now. And I said, oh, right, what's she giving up? She said she's giving up porn. I said, oh, hang on, wait a second. <laughs> she's giving up porn. And I was totally ignorant to the fact that this is a massive issue among young women. Yes. So I, I would say that I'm still seeing the issues presenting to me as problems relating back to men in erections so when porn is raised with me as an issue it's usually by a man and it's usually to recognizing it's impacting his erections i'm not at the moment working with a lot of women and this could be to do with the kind of work that i'm doing you know there will be other therapists whose work is more focused on sexual addiction, sexual comp compulsivity. So they, and they market themselves as that. So they are likely to be seeing much bigger numbers. At the moment, I'm not meeting lots of women who say their use of pornography is a problem, but I'm certainly meeting women who talk about using pornography. And societally, we have tended to think pornography is used by men and not by women and I suppose when you look back years ago you think about pornographic magazines they were usually explicit women images of women tailored for men I would say that there is some equality now potentially that's happening between men and women accessing porn and there are some organizations that produce porn that argue that they are producing female-friendly porn. This is pornography that is targeted at women and the sort of things that women want. So I would say there, you know, there's some equality, but I would say the risks are there for both men and women because although women don't get erections, they go through that same arousal response. And if they become reliant on seeing on being stimulated visually in a certain way that will feed into how their body responds you take away the visual stimulation they're not necessarily going to experience the same levels of arousal so theoretically it's just as much an issue for women as it is for men it's just i'm not seeing that borne out at the moment in my own practice and also i suppose for women as well as men it's informing their perspective of what sex looks like, which is so yeah. different from what you're finding in consultation, what couples are really looking for. Yes, yes. And I do have some concerns, and these are conversations I've had with other therapists and also just generally with friends and other parents, that young girls are feeling a pressure to present themselves in a certain way and also to behave in a certain way. And a good example of this is that the biggest increase in plastic surgery is women looking for labiaplasties. So that is surgery to create symmetry with the labia minora. So these are the inner lips of the vagina, of the vulva. And if you look, um, I've got some really good books that show female anatomy. And obviously I know this from my nursing days, women's vulval areas are a bit like snowflakes. No two are the same, completely unique. But the problem that we have in pornography is that women usually won't have pubic hair. 
so there's encouragement for women to get rid of their pubic hair, but also that their vulva will be symmetrical. And a lot of women don't have that. Some women have longer labia minora that protrude out. Some people have one that's longer than the other. You know, it's completely unique. But I think what women are seeing in porn is leading a lot of them. And I've I've worked with a couple of people in my own practice who've got concerns about their genitalia based on the expectations that are being put out there as the gold standard in terms of how your genitals should look. And interestingly, the same applies for men. You know, I was watching a documentary about pornography and how it's made. And one of the things that is regularly used are medications like Viagra, um, or, or there's another drug called Cialis that will be in used to enhance blood flow to the penis. And often what happens is the male porn stars will use these drugs. They will then use something called a vacuum constrict device. So it's a, it's a piece of equipment that we would use as a, an aid for erectile function. And they place it over the penis. They draw blood into the penis under negative pressure. And then they constrict the blood with a constriction ring at the base of the penis. So what you've got in pornography is scenarios where, again, men shave their pubic hair to create the illusion of a, a larger penis. They're using drugs to enhance their blood flow to the penis whilst also using the vacuum device and using a constriction ring. And it's filmed in a certain way that you can't see the constriction ring, but it's giving boys and men and women and girls that are watching the illusion that men have really large penises. And of course, those have been enhanced. Gosh, it's a funny world, isn't it? I You learn something new every day. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I kept my game face right up to the end there, Emma, but there's some very, there's some very new information coming through. I mean, in the end, like all things, it comes back to if you want your children to be well educated, make sure that you're having those conversations at home, whether it's puberty, whether it's yeah. sex, porn, whether it's relationships. You can't rely on their peer group to be their educators or the internet. You, you should absolutely not rely on their peers because they will have got misinformation. The internet can be really helpful and also really unhelpful. So when you mentioned earlier about, you know, we can't do much about the world that they're growing up in, that's true, but we can empower ourselves. We can take back a bit of power, which I love. And we yeah. can say, do you know what? As soon as they start asking me about sex, I'm going to tell them about it. I'm going to talk about how babies are made. I'm going to talk. I'm going to give them the version of sex that I want them to hear. That will be influenced if you've got a faith, potentially by your faith and thoughts around parameters around sex. It may be that you don't have a faith, but you really want them to hear a healthy view about sex, about why, why sex can be so wonderful within a relationship. It's not purely a self-gratifying act for oneself. It's about what it adds to the relationship, the emotional connection, all of those kind of things. So I think as parents, it's difficult, but we have to get over our own embarrassment because ultimately it will really benefit our children in a world where they could and will be exposed to all sorts of things. If we've got in there first with our message, that is a great foundation. And it's and it's a it's great for their partners as well, their future partners. There is so much we can do on the home front culturally. And as you yes. say, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to 
potentially practice those words in the mirror until they, yes. they don't cause us embarrassment anymore. And also you mentioned earlier that we often talk about porn in negative terms and understandably so. But I did a piece on drugs with a local chap called Tony France. And he said a misinformation that we give our ch- children is that drugs are awful. Yes. He said they're awful for you, but they're jolly wonderful. And I think that if yeah. a child is told or oh, porn's ghastly and then for whatever reason gets exposed to it and thinks that didn't feel ghastly, I've got an incongruous message yes. coming through here. Yeah, I so agree with that. And I do think that because there is a fear often from parents around wanting to give a message, this is bad for you. It's delivered in a way that this is bad and it's awful. And actually it's not, you know, this is why so many people watch porn. It's very arousing. It arouses sensations in us of curiosity, of intrigue of excitement maybe a bit of horror but also if you think about it when a child is excited a young child is excited they can wet themselves when a child is really terrified they can wet themselves that the fear excitement line can be blurred and i think that's the message we have to give across it may be really it may feel a bit scary it may feel quite exciting it could be it could create all sorts of feelings in you what we want as parents is we want our kids to come back to us and be able to say I saw something today mum on somebody's phone and I'm I'm not really sure about it and I I don't really know what was happening that this was happening and then the parent can say okay so let's talk about what anal sex is let's talk about what oral sex is Let's talk about this or that. And those are conversations that we we wouldn't necessarily have thought we would be having with our 11 or 12 year olds. But how wonderful that they come back to us and they ask us. That's a sign of great parenting, I think. It's being that safe place, isn't it? To affirm that the feelings that they have are normal, but talk about what we can do with the information that we've received and be a safe place. And I would say that's that's becoming more common as we have podcasts and conversations around that. You know, I parented, you know, in a different generation, you know, my eldest are sort of you know, in their 20s. And I actually don't think I was good enough with those conversations. And we're getting better. Our youngest is 13. So he's probably going to get everything that the others didn't have. I remember a particular time we took our children to, I think it was the Science Museum, and they had a really fantastic exhibition and they were doing the baby from conception right through to birth and one of our children had said not only was he going to have 10 children but they were going to go to mcdonald's every day a very <laughs> idealistic five-year-old he was and then when we finished with this exhibit he was quiet all the way through and i thought okay i'll wait you know i won't do the sort of q a till afterwards he gets right to the end and he looks at me and he says i won't be having 10 children <laughs> It's getting the balance, isn't it? It's getting it that is. narrative in good and but, early. But I will be going to McDonald's every day. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, not the baby out with the bathwater. It, it is so about getting the balance. And also, I didn't think before reading the article in the newspaper, I didn't think about having a conversation with an eight or nine year old about pornography. But everything that was written in the in the parenting article made so much sense to me that it was something I decided to embrace. I didn't know how to have that conversation. It was a bit clunky. 
I didn't necessarily, if I had my time again, I might say it slightly differently, but that's okay. We're not, we're not going to get all of this stuff right. It's new. You know, my parents didn't talk to me about pornography. You know, this is a new thing for me to do. I'm going to do the best I can. Mm. And that's all we can hope to do. Parenting is practice, not yeah. perfection. Yeah. yeah. Emma, that is so informative. I think we've probably all learned a lot. And I hope, if nothing else, it will stimulate people to think, how could I be brave? How yeah. could I make our home a safe place to have these conversations? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. What can I say? It's a scary world, but it is the world that we live in. I so hope that this will give you the courage to have those tough conversations with a little bit more insight about what may happen if we don't. And I'll see you next time.